The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, chapter 3, beginning at the 7th verse. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptised and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Loving God, may the words that I speak and the thoughts of our hearts change us and help us to bear fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Well, last week, Stuart began his sermon by suggesting that we don't necessarily associate John the Baptist with peace. And I think in the light of today's reading, the same could be said about joy. In fact, in view of today's reading, perhaps we would call John the Baptist a wild man with a wild message. Is that because we don't really understand peace and joy, though? When Stuart set the scene for Luke chapter 3, we discovered that John is teaching and baptizing in the wilderness Stuart called the wilderness a place of encounter and formation. Encounter is about discovering relationship. Formation is about being shaped as a person. So here in the wilderness, John is baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. People are discovering new ways of relating to others in the light of that, and they are shaped by their repentance, by their turning away towards more life-giving ways of living. 
The people ask a great question. What then shall we do? So what? John answers, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized. They asked, teacher, what should we do? And John said, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers asked, what should we do? And John said, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. John identifies himself as a precursor to the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit, if you're prepared to go with my definition, is to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and be equipped to do good works to the glory of God. The reading tells us that the Holy Spirit produces a particular kind of fruit in our lives, fruit worthy of repentance, of this new way of living, fruits worthy of formation and transformation that shape our lives when we encounter God in Christ. But how would you describe the fruit of the Spirit in your life? For some people, this can be a daunting question. Because to answer this, sometimes self-doubt or a sense of inadequacy cloud the way that we see what we have to offer. And yet our lives cannot help but bear fruit when God is present. That's what the Holy Spirit does. For those of you who do doubt that God is at work with you, within you, I hope that these words bring encouragement. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul lists nine fruits of the Spirit. Now this passage is quite unrelated to the gospel reading for today, but I think it's helpful to remind ourselves, there's this list of, let's, let's just look at this list of nine fruit of the Spirit. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace. This week is the third in Advent and we're focusing on joy. Luke's gospel is full of joy references. Even around the birth story, think of the shepherds and the angels, good news of great joy. Yesterday, I celebrated a friend's wedding, and it was an occasion of great joy. The couple chose the well-known love passage from 1 Corinthians 13 to be read during their wedding ceremony. And although this passage was written to... Um, an early church community that was struggling with all the differences that were represented by the people that made up that community, it is helpful at weddings. It's helpful any time for us to reflect on these words that conclude with the statement, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Well, why is love the greatest? There are lots of reasons, but I think love encapsulates the completeness of relationship that generates 
joy. On my bookshelf are a few classics that explore Christian joy. One of them is Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Joy Unspeakable. It was really popular back in the 1980s and 90s with people in the evangelical tradition. It is subtitled, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it explores the fruit generated in the lives of many people who've encountered God and been formed through the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Sadly, Martin Lloyd-Jones, from what I can, I've, I've read the book many years ago, but um, as I flick back through it, I can only find examples from the lives of men. But I do have it on very good authority that the Holy Spirit also bears fruit in the lives of women. One of the people that he talks about is the brilliant 17th century scientist and mathematician, Blaise Pascal. And I use him because he's a great thinker and philosopher and has shaped um, modern science to, in, in some ways. There's often this sense that to be a rational thinker, to be a scientist, means that we're not able to accept by faith the good news of the scriptures, to trust and believe in Jesus Christ and in the work of someone that we call the Holy Spirit. Blaise Pascal wrote these words that were found soon after he died. This day of grace, 1654. From about half past 10 at night to about half after midnight, fire, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the wise. Security, security, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of all save God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the human soul. A righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. Lloyd-Jones argues that joy is unmistakable in the lives of people not because of their tremendous achievements or their natural personal attributes. Rather, they find joy through encounter with God. Joy is in the relationship. We are formed in joy. I also have many books by C.S. Lewis on my bookshelf. Many of you will as well, I imagine. In his letters to Malcolm, C.S. Lewis wrote, joy is the serious business of heaven. In Surprise by Joy, Lewis describes how after his conversion to theism, so he, he moved from being an atheist to um, believing merely in some non-human deity uh, before he meets God in Christ, he hadn't the slightest hint that there ever had been or ever would be any connection between God and joy. Lewis had hoped that at the center of things, at the heart of reality, might be a place. But instead, he discovered it to be a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, Lewis encountered the living God and found joy. 
This joy is reflected in the wonderful adventures for which C.S. Lewis is so well known, the adventures of Susan and Lucy and Edmund and Peter in Narnia. Lucy has made friends with Mr. Tumnus the fawn and she asks him, the white witch, who is she? Why, it is she that has got all of Narnia under her thumb. It is she that makes it always winter, always winter and never Christmas. Think of that. How awful, said Lucy. Many chapters and adventures later, Father Christmas arrives and says, I've come at last. The witch has kept me out for a long time, but I've got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. And Lucy felt running through her that deep shiver of gladness, which you only get if you are being solemn and still. Perhaps the book about joy that has most influenced me or that I might look at most often is Seeds of Joy. You probably haven't heard of it. It was written by my friend Dorothy Matheson. Dorothy was an unassuming, wise woman who encouraged me and many others in the practice of the presence of Jesus. Dorothy also knew that at the center of things, that at the heart of reality is a person, and in knowing that person, we find joy. Her book, Seeds of Joy, was published only a few years ago, just before she died in her early 70s. Dorothy was a great encouragement to me, especially during my years of ministry formation. She prayed for me and with me. She listened to me, encouraged me, and helped me to rediscover joy in my relationship with God and with myself so that I could find joy in my relationships with others. She helped me to let go of many things, including trying to get things right and to simply embrace God's love for me. While I miss Dorothy a lot and think of her often, I'm really grateful for her recommendation to celebrate joy, joy people, joy activity, joy places, joy music. Dorothy's words always rang true. She radiated joy, yet her life had not been easy. Through her young adult life, she carried, in her words, persistent heartaches about singleness, people-pleasing, striving to serve, and dumbing down, simply to win approval. This was all subdued under busy, sacrificial service. I wonder how many of us have lived in this way, We've busied ourselves under the things that we've done for other people, not simply out of a sense of joy, but to try and prove something to perhaps foster a sense of self-worth, perhaps to quieten the voices that might want to put us down. Dorothy's life story is for another day, but what I do want to say is that with her husband, George, Dorothy did end up marrying 
Dorothy developed a prayer ministry that met people where they were and focused on the seeds of joy in their story. When we come to meet with people, often we begin with the pain. Dorothy and George chose to start with helping the person discover the seeds of joy in their own story, that beneath the pain, within the pain, there are seeds of joy. We are all able to dig deep and to find the seeds of joy in our own stories, the times when God felt real, when the presence of Jesus indeed felt very close to us. So Dorothy's legacy in helping us to find joy in the presence of Jesus, I believe is a great gift in this time. What is joy? Well, in our culture, I don't think joy is well understood, not that kind of joy. People fear that by sharing what they have, as we heard in the reading, they'll somehow miss out and not have enough. People fear that by choosing to be content, they'll still be missing out on the things that they see other people having. People fear that by giving up a sense of entitlement, that they'll miss out on what they could possibly have. And yet, having been in a school community for many years, I became firmly convinced that joy and entitlement are mutually exclusive. When we live out of entitlement, it is really hard to find joy. The American minister and writer, Frederick Buchner, wrote, God calls you to the place where your deep joy and the world's greatest need meet. The place where your deep joy, whatever that is, and the world's greatest need meet. Our community is full of people who serve in that way. People who serve in working bees to help spruce up the church for Christmas. People who serve in our op shops. People who serve as Kids Hope mentors who serve on boards of governance within the church and in the wider community, people who serve on sausage sizzles, people who serve in a myriad of ways, people who have wonderful stories about sharing their deep joy and that finding expression through meeting a need in our community. Is joy the same as happiness, though? Australian writer Nikki Gamble wrote recently, Bring on the language of the Aussie smile, the medicine of our maskless joy. We're famous the world over for our grins, for smiling when we talk and the crinkles around sun-battered eyelids, for the twinkle in our eyes when we're delivering a healthy dose of Aussie dryness, and our smiley friendliness wherever we lay our hat on this earth. So bring on our beams, I say, because the Aussie summer is almost here with all its seasonal loveliness and a maskless existence feels tantalizingly close. But what I would say is that even a smile can sometimes not ring true. It is good to smile. They say that people who smile more live longer that I would argue that there are times when it's actually possible to experience profound joy 
and yet not necessarily feel happy and have the energy for smiling. So happiness and smiling are great. Deep joy is another thing. Deep joy can be found even in the depths of grief. To know the reality of God revealed in Jesus Christ, who is at the center of things, the heart of reality, through relationship has been my greatest joy, and perhaps yours as well. The fruit of joy in life overflows through joy in relationships with family and friends, joy through work, joy through experiencing nature as a gift, joy through serving others, and in many other ways. The author Brennan Manning reminds us, the most radical demand of the Christian faith is to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ, the Christ who is coming, the Christ who has already come, the Christ who comes to us each and every day. Our world is in desperate need of joy and we have good news of great joy to share. When we say yes to Christ, joy as a fruit of God's spirit becomes one of the distinguishing marks of our beautifully compelling alternate way of life, the life into which we are called. So how might you reconnect with the seeds of joy embedded in your story? How might they grow and bear fruit as you share the good news of Christ this Christmas? Amen.